a chasm created. I was invited this week to a very nice dinner Thursday night in which the staff in athletics, and specifically the football staff, were invited along with the graduate assistants and their spouses. And the idea, the people who made this happen, was that these are some of the people who are overlooked, that the graduate assistants and the staffs who, who put in 12-hour days and, and don't get noticed, or, or the spouses who have to deal with their you know, significant others being gone for 12 hours a day, that the idea was that they don't get to share in the goodness and the glory. So this, is a, this was a dinner where we could all come together and they could put on nice clothes and drink nice drinks and, and have a really nice dinner. That they were, they were invited to the table so that the chasm between those who have and those who have not was gone. Jesus tells a very challenging parable today about a rich man and a poor man. And Jesus is directing this parable to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are those who see themselves as better. Remember the, the other par- another time in Luke when the Pharisee looks at this poor person, God, I thank you that I'm not like this poor person, how I'm so much better, and I pray, and I do all these things. And so Jesus is calling them out. And he's saying that, that our actions in this life matter. And so here's this, this chasm, this picture that Jesus paints about this, this rich man who dines sumptuously and dresses in purple, which means it's expensive, and uses fine linen. And then there's this poor man who's covered with sores, who would have gladly eaten his fill from the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs would come and lick his sores. And yet it's interesting because you, you hear this distance, and yet there's also this potential for closeness that that the poor man is is lying at the door of the rich man he's right there and and when the poor man it, you know goes to abraham's side in heaven that that that, that the the, the, poor, the rich man we don't even know his name he actually knows the name of the poor man he knows the name of the poor man at his door but the gap between them is never closed. When he had power to do something about it. And so when the rich man dies, well, it's too late. Do you remember, remember our par- uh, the gospel last week? It was about the dishonest steward who didn't have a whole lot going for him, except that before it was too late, he reduced the debt of the debtors. So even though he didn't have a good life, before it was too late, he did something about it. This week, we hear about this man who had a chance, but didn't do something about it, and it was too late. And so Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees' attention, and ours, to say, respond now. Do something now. And, and the rich man says, well, you know, actually, Abraham says, well, let your family listen to the Moses and the prophet. Let them respond to them. And he's like, no, 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 they're, they're no. <laughs> you know? But if someone should you know, come back from the dead, and Abraham's like, no, even if someone comes back from the dead, they're not going to listen. What is he saying? 
He's saying that you have everything you need. You've got the scriptures. You've got someone risen from the dead. And still you're not responding. And so what's interesting, Jesus, who talks about someone rising from the dead, Jesus is the one who comes to close the gap, to fill the chasm that has been established between us and God because of our sin. That, that our sin, our choices to separate ourselves from God have created this chasm that you and I actually can't cross. But Jesus comes. Jesus sees us suffering. And Jesus comes and by his divine power connects or closes the gap between us and God. That his death on the cross is, is connecting the two. And yet what he waits for is for us to make our own response to that. That Jesus closes the chasm and yet he waits for us to choose whether we want to cross it, if you will. And so the evil one is the one who wants to have us feel so separated from God. And then we, you know, we choose to sin and then we feel ashamed and then we just keep, we want to run and hide. But God is the one who wants to continually tighten that gap. Our Newmanite speaker two weeks ago was an astronomer who answered the question, can a scientist believe in God? And I, I wanted him to come because I think it's, it's so easy for us to get confused by this question. And you hear it on campus, right? Like, you know, I don't really believe in God. I'm a scientist. I choose to believe in science and reason. I mean, you understand, right? I mean, because I have to make a choice. And so I'm going to choose to believe in science rather than, you know, something I can see and measure versus a God that I can't see or measure. And Brother Guy talked about a couple of these things. One, just, I guess, to address the point I just made, he says science measures things in the created universe. God is outside of creation and created the universe. So, because, so God is outside of creation. You can't use something within creation to measure him. Does that make sense? And so, yeah, they're like, well, I've never seen God. I've never, God's never proven himself to me and given evidence. I was like, the evidence you're looking for is within the created scientific universe. You're not going to find it of the God who's bigger than the universe. But anyways, so he, one of the things he talked about was, um, I guess I just gave you an example. I'm going to give you another example. All right. He said, he talked about the Big Bang Theory. He said, he said, do you guys know, he asked us, he said, do you know who, who, you know, developed the Big Bang Theory. And, you know, I knew, some people might have known, that it was a Catholic priest, Father George Lemaitre. He was a mentor to Albert Einstein, that he's the one who postulated the Big Bang Theory. But what's interesting, what, what Brother Guy pointed out was, the reason it got the Big Bang Theory was not because of Father George Lemaitre. It was because of this atheist, Fred Hoyle, who said, you know, you can choose to believe in what I'm teaching you, or you can believe in that Big Bang Theory. So the atheists actually didn't like the Big Bang Theory, 
when it was first postulated. And now you fast forward a number of years, and now it's actually the atheists who are now over here saying, Big Bang Theory, we don't believe in God. And what's the point? The point is, we can take whatever information we want to create a chasm between us and God. If we're looking for an excuse not to believe in God, we can find lots. But our invitation, you know, you can look at Lazarus. Lazarus, the, he's, he's the poor man. And the rich man, the rich man had all sorts of reasons. I'm not going to talk to that man. Look, he's got sores and he's around the dogs. And I don't know, maybe he's a threat to me. We can find all sorts of reasons to distance ourselves from people and from God. It's just what we do. It's our perspective without recognizing the God who chooses to come to step into the chasm between sin and death, between God and us, and to rejoin us, to close the gap. Yesterday, I was during the tailgates. I was walking around before the game, and um, I met this woman. And we're sitting there, and you know, we're in our little folding chairs, and they shared their food with me, and and I'm kind of like meeting these people. And across the group, she says, you know, that's great that you're here for students, and you know, but three years ago, I lost my son, and so I haven't really been back to church. And I was like, let me just put my food down now. And I, I, moved, across, <laughs> I moved across the circle, and everyone else in the group was like, found something to do real quick, right? Like, <laughs> And so I asked her, I said, well, tell, tell me about that. And she said, well, God, must have, God wanted my son more than I did and took him. And so I was like, well, hold on a second. Let me ask you, how does God feel about your son? How did God feel about your son dying? Well, he, he wanted him. I was like, yeah, but, 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 but how does God feel about death and bad things happening? Well, she said, well, I, I mean, he allows them. And my response was, no, God hates them. God hates death. God didn't intend death to be. God gave us freedom and life, even though he knew that the consequence of our sin would be death. But that's not what God wanted. And when he saw us separated from him, from, by our sin, he saw us dying what does he do? He doesn't stand far off, but he chooses to actually draw near. That Jesus says, I will take your pain and your suffering, and I will take your death, and I will put it on my own shoulders, and I will break it so that it doesn't have power you, over you forever. That even though there is a chasm, that it's not a chasm that will last forever. And that, that God chooses to go there, that even, even our pain and our loss and our suffering, God chooses to go there out of love. So that every one of our losses and pain and griefs and sins can be filled with his love, precisely in that painful place. And, and then this, so when I finished my homily to her, she said, Father, you know, every day I tell God how angry I feel and how much it hurts, and I pray my rosary. And I said to her, I said, you're doing it, that you have a choice 
whether to let that pain and disappointment cause you to turn away, but you are actually turning towards the God who loves us. The God who thought the world was a better place with your son in it. The God who loves your son more than we ever could. And that you're, you're not letting this create a chasm between you, but you're, you're turning back to him. As I was reflecting on this experience, I, I, I remembered how I even got to her tailgate. I had been walking this way, kind of north, and I kind of looked over to the west, and 60 feet away, I see somebody wave. And it was one of those, <laughs> me? And I wasn't really sure, because you just, you never know. And so I was walking with one of the missionaries, and I said, hey, let's walk that way. So it was just, just in case he was waving at me. Because it was like 60 feet away. So I start walking, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, let's just kind of go near. And, and then he waved again. And I was like, oh. And so I walked up, and he goes, hey, Father. I'm like, hey, how's it going? What's your name, you know? And he invited me, oh, come, have, come join our tailgate. Have something to eat. And so I go over, and, um, and, and I'm meeting people. I met him. I met this other person. I met this other person. And the fourth person I met was this woman that I had this conversation with, who was his wife. So he's the one who also lost a son. And rather than allow that chasm to harden his heart, that when he saw a priest all the way across the parking lot, a priest who, I don't know, symbolizes the church and God and whatever, that he reached out. And that he and his family, in the end, were, were blessed by that. Every one of us can find reasons and excuses to distance ourselves from God. And to paint the picture however we want to paint it. To, to paint God in whatever light makes it easier to walk away. But for every single reason that we have in that regard, Jesus responds with love. And he reaches out and stands in the gap. And he says, I'm here. I want you close. And I want to bless and love you and spend eternity with you.